Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, our guest today, Scott Clifton, has been in the thick of romantic drama on Golden Beautiful since he joined the show almost 10 years ago. So, the Hope Liam Steffi triangle has certainly been a main thrust of his stories. And I always find it fascinating how the show's executive producer and head writer, Brad Bell, manages to keep it going. You know, but what I really think is skillful is how Scott completely embraces what seems to upset some of the fans. (laughs) And it's that Liam's kind of wishy-washy with both of these women. I mean, we have both heard stories over the years where some actors in triangles like won't commit to one or both of the pairings for like fear of upsetting the other actor or actress. And that tends to really show on screen. But like not in this case at all, which I think is part of the reason it has been so successful. I totally agree with you. And I would add, like in addition to not upsetting the other actor uh, or actress, I think some actors feel like they need to be sensitive to different fan bases Mm -hmm. in how they play it. Um, Because in the, you know, the very best soap opera triangles, there is rooting value for each of the possible pairings. And in like a perfect soap triangle, I think um, fan sentiment is is split or maybe it's like 51% to 49% and like someone squeaks by with a win. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a really interesting idea that uh, soaps have gotten a lot of narrative mileage from over the years, which is the question, can one person be in love with two people at the same time? I just was reading um, something Mary Beth Evans, who plays Daisy's Kayla, says in the new issue, which is that she thinks Kayla loves both Steve and Justin, but with Steve, there's decades of history there which is, and, and this is me saying this, not Mary Beth, it's like going to be hard for Justin to compete with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a greater challenge when you're taking an established super couple and inserting a spoiler, if you will, in there. Because I feel more often than not, it's like the OG couple for the win. You know, to take like another soap couple from days, for example, like Bo and Hope, the only reason Bo and Billy worked is because Hope was presumed dead. But once, <clears throat> like, once Hope came back, it was just passing time until she and Bo got back together. And it's not to say that the other pairing doesn't get traction. I mean, there's always rooting value one way or the other, but I think it's a story better served with characters who aren't completely established already with a love interest. I would absolutely agree. I I think there's like very little suspense at this point when, for instance, uh, GH flirts with putting another woman in between Sonny and Carly. Um, That's just like an example that springs to mind. Like they, it looked for like half a second, like they were going to go there with the character of Margot and then they didn't. And I, I think it was smart that they didn't because I just don't think it would have worked as a triangle. On the other hand, there's so much established history with Jackson Carly to mm-hmm. say nothing right. of Jackson Sonny and all of the women they've battled uh, for over the years that I think if GH chose to do another run at the Jax Carly Sonny triangle, that would be more successful. I don't think we're like super seeing signs that that's the show's plan. Um, And in general, I have to say GH is very triangle light, which is another reason I was like really hoping for a proper uh, Hayden Finn Anna triangle. 
Mm -hmm. And like regarding Sonny and Jax, I mean, if Brenda came back and there was any sort of hint of a triangle, I would only be team Sonny and Brenda. You (laughs) know, like there would be no question for me. (laughs) Um, So in our recent best and worst issue, you know, we pointed to the Rex, Sarah, Eric triangle on days as being the worst. And it's mainly because there really wasn't any couple there to even root for. Mm -hmm. You know, you had Rex, who was like a total cad, you know, cheating on her twice. Sarah, who stuck by him, but it seemed it was mainly because she didn't want to give in to her feelings for Rex's brother, Eric, and who was trying to resist his own feelings for Sarah. And it ultimately was like a big who cares, which to me is the worst kind of triangle. Absolutely. And Sarah wound up with neither one of them. She is with Xander. Um, we didn't even have a best triangle uh, in our issue because as we were debating it and we did we did talk about it, mm-hmm. um, but there weren't really any viable contenders or that many triangles to pick from overall. Um, so, okay, first of all, let's bring back the triangles. I am, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking, a, taking a stand here. Um, I have probably never been more invested in a story than I was in the Brenda Sunny Jacks triangle. I was a teenager when that was in high gear. And Stephanie, I am telling you, it felt like my life depended on Brenda and Sunny getting back (laughs) together when she was with Jax. Like fast forward a few years later and my life fully depended on Dawson getting his heart broken and Joey picking Pacey on Dawson's (laughs) great. Oh, I remember that. So, okay, a few lessons here. One, apparently I love to see a blonde man cry. (laughs) And number two, a good triangle is like really engaging. And I think that's why this B&B one has been so successful. I mean, from the get-go. And, you know, now we're even still seeing it on screen playing out. Yeah, there's always going to be some flickers. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think we should talk to the man in the middle of it. (laughs) And that is Scott Clifton. Let's get him on the phone to talk about playing Liam and the other soap roles he played before he came to Los Angeles. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I've, I've got my coffee. I've got a cat on my lap. I'm ready for this, guys. That sounds perfect. Which cat do you have on your lap, more importantly? Yeah. I, I have Walter White. Uh, Walter White was Boo on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the cat that uh, Liam rescued and gave to Hope. He's uh, he's really let himself go. He's fat now, practically unrecognizable. <laughs> you really haven't but, posted uh, him a lot lately Is it because of that. I'm ashamed of him. That's I'm <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say that you know he had a football scholarship and then they saw him and they they let him go and. So we're, 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 we're going, you know, we're counseling him. (laughs) He has a treadmill session later. (laughs) (laughs) Walter, I don't mean it, buddy. I'm sorry. We're just teasing Walter. Yeah. You're, you're just the butt of the joke. (laughs) All right. Well, we're so happy you could join us today. So much to talk about. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Well, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Scott Clifton story. Um, you were born in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. So did your proximity to Hollywood and showbiz-affiliated folks, like, influence you to become an actor? Uh, I, I, You know, I, I don't think so. Uh, n- neither of my parents were had anything to do with this business at all. My mom was a shrink, and my dad worked for years and years as a... a uh, a sort of check casher manager guy. He he dealt with money, uh, and uh, I I think I just it was I was maybe I was like eight or something like that. And my mom, who's like a sort of like comes from a sort of southern intellectual tradition, um, she she gave me she threw this book of Shakespeare on my bed as a kid, and she said, "Listen, I don't know if they're going to teach you this in school, but." Everyone should know some Shakespeare, so I really I want you to read this. And I was like, no, ew, gross. I don't want to read it. They talk funny. It's weird, you know. And then, and so she would kind of sit with me and like force me. Oh, she's so mean, you guys. Um, force Shakespeare. Oh my god. Force Shakespeare. Down Learn my the hard. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and eventually, I just started a- accidentally, I think, committing some of it to memory, which my mom thought was really funny and cool. And she would like, you know, do the mom thing where she's like, "Scott, do do the thing, do 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 the do the to be or not to be. Come on, do it, do it." You know, around <laughs> other people. Um, and eventually, we we uh, there there was a friend of a friend of the family who s- saw me do this at some party or something like that, and said, "You know, the kid can memorize. D- is he interested in?" I you know, and this guy. His name is Joseph Carberry, and it turns out he was a classically trained 
actor, a Shakespearean actor. And he just, out of the goodness of his heart, just for fun, I was a weird kid. I, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't like go to summer camp. I didn't, I wasn't in any extracurricular activities. And this guy would come over every Saturday and for like two hours, he would just teach me Shakespeare. Um, and it was, it just, that's what spawned everything. And, and eventually from there I asked, I went to my parents and I asked if I could, you know, try to be an actor. Um, and so then, you know, the acting classes and the workshops and the, my, you know, my dad schlepping me all over town, you know, before I could even drive and, um, bless their hearts. I mean, they gave up so much of, of their, their social lives and work lives to, to facilitate that. But, but that's how it happened. It wasn't, I don't think it really had to do with proximity to the city or knowing anybody. I mean, aside from that guy, uh, there really wasn't like a huge, like influence in my life that, that, you know, made me go, Oh, I want to do, I want to be a movie star. It was, it was nothing like that. So you broke into the business. Um, like your first gigs were like commercials and you did some episodic work and then you yeah. joined general hospital, as you may recall. <clears throat> Uh, yes. And still in, in 2003, was that the first time soaps had been like on your audition schedule or on your radar? Well, no, I, I had auditioned for General Hospital three times before that. And and before that, I had auditioned for As the World Turns once. Um, so so I, I soaps were on my radar. I knew that they were like a kind of like respectable line of work for an actor to have. And I, I also kind of knew from just conversations that adults around me would have that you know, so, soap operas are uh, just a very good kind of steady sort of j- job that a lot of people in uh, – not a lot of people, but, that, but there are a chunk of people in Los Angeles that just have this kind of like nine-to-five lifestyle where they're an actor, but they're not traveling all over the world and doing one project for four months and then never seeing those people again. I mean, there's this like kind of steady – like I said, nine-to-five existence, you know, and that, and that soap world is, is – uh, you know, part of that. So I, I knew about all that. Um, and so, uh, I, I liked the idea of getting a job on a soap opera because it would have been steady work, but, uh, yeah. So I, I auditioned for, um, Mark Teschner, who's the casting director of general hospital a couple of times. And he's, I don't know if you know much about Mark Teschner, but, but he, like, he's an exceptional human being. I mean, he's all, he's always off book. Like he never reads with you. He, performs the scene with you even if he's oh you know a, a woman in the scene he like bats his eyelashes at you and looks at you <laughs> you know lovingly and like i mean he really performs the scene with you like an old school casting director uh and he just like takes down notes there's no cameras in the room i don't know if that's changed i mean this was 17 18 years ago now but uh and he liked me um he uh, i auditioned for the character of lucas uh, a couple of different Lucases. Uh, I auditioned for Lucky at one point. I was way too young for that. But uh, but he had on, I think it was like the third time I had auditioned. Um, he gave me a hug at the end of the audition, uh, and 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 that it, it was a very kind of like um, consoling hug. So I like knew I wasn't getting the part. But he whispered in my ear, um, "I'm going to get you on this damn show if it kills me." <laughs> And, and then the next time I auditioned, I, I almost didn't want to go to the audition because I, I was like so bummed because I got so far. Each of these auditions for Lucas and Lucky, I went really far. I had like two, three callbacks. Uh, and then, and then eventually Dylan Quartermain came up and, um, and that was it. And then I got that job and I was on the show. Now, Dylan was a pretty great character. I mean, it wasn't your like kind of typical soap character. Um, yeah. And you were also the son of one of the most powerful women on daytime TV, <laughs> Jane Elliott, who plays Tracy. Yeah. Um, so just tell us about your early days as Dylan and working with Jane. Yeah. Um, excuse me. <laughs> you get choked have, up just thinking of her. I'm, I'm just, I'm so emotional right now. <laughs> uh, actually, I could, I could easily get emotional during this conversation because I miss Jane a lot. Uh, she... Yeah, she. I, I don't think I understood the gravity of her at the time. Um, I, you know, I wasn't. I, I, it wasn't like I, I was a soap fan, so I didn't watch the soap operas. You know, I just I knew about them. Um, but pretty quickly, you know, I learned like that the Quartermains were like a really big deal. You know, and and Jane was a really big deal. And uh, I remember that my. I think it was like my first day on set. Uh, she. 
we had to do this. It was interesting. We had to do this, like this big cast photo shoot before my first day. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't know that photo is it's out there somewhere, but like I hadn't had, I didn't have the hair yet. I didn't have the wardrobe yet. They hadn't like styled me and turned me into Dylan yet. And so it just, it was, it was a weird, I didn't know what I was going to be doing yet on the show, but anyway, sorry. My first day on the show, uh, I think Jane like made this announcement. She, she, she kind of said, everybody, everybody, you know, and like, the, you know, when she does that, everybody shuts up real quick. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, this is Scott. He's going to be playing my son. Uh, if any of you give him any trouble, you'll be hearing from me or, or something like that, you know, and, and everybody awesome. kind of like chuckled and, and clapped and, and as I got a really, really warm welcome. Um, but she was, uh. She and Tony, I think, so there is a, around this time, I don't know if this is still true, but, but there's a sort of acting class culture, um, for young men and women, uh, in, you know, breaking into the business where they, they are sort of indoctrinated to believe that the more subtle and internalized, uh, you, your performance is the better. That's real. You know, the more, the less you do, the better. Uh, and, and I was sort of on the precipice of that philosophy. And <clears throat> I think meeting Jane and Tony, uh, Anthony Geary for the first time really prevented me from going down that road. It, it, obviously truthfulness in a performance is really, really important, but not at the expense of being interesting. And Jane and Tony really instilled in me the value of making interesting choices and just always being on, uh, and, and, you know, like, like gladiator, like, are, are you not entertained? Like it just make sure that you're entertaining the audience. Uh, and you know, Tony, I remember, I think around that same time, Tony gave an interview in a, in a magazine that I read. Uh, and he said, and they said, what's, what's a, like, what's a, um, a fad that you don't like. And Tony was speaking to that fad. He said, a lot of these young actors, they come into the show and they think that they just have to be a wall, like a stone faced wall and not raise their voice and not, you know, they speak in monotone. And, uh, that's really annoying to me. I hate that. And I just thought, wow, that's so interesting for this guy, this like legend to be talking like that mm -hmm. about, you know, people in my generation, like actors in my generation. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was really, 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 uh, formative for me. I think that, that time learning from them, having that sort of college experience, if you will. Yeah. Like to be getting, you know, <clears throat> sort of uh, de facto free acting advice from Jane Elliott, yeah. Tony Geary, like that's, that's quite the, uh, resume. It was, I mean, I was on general hospital for like four years and change. I mean, that's about the time that someone would go to college and, and I was a high school dropout, you know, so that it was, that was like my, and it was around the exact same time. It was, I think 18 to 23, something like that. So that was my college experience. Um, so I think that a lot of fans will re best remember your time on GH for the love story of Georgie and Dylan, which was yeah. a huge hit. Um, what are your standout memories of working with Lindsay <clears throat> Leatherman and, you know, playing out like your first soap couple, your first soap love story. Yeah. Well, I mean, Lindsay was there before I was and, uh, she was, it was interesting at the time because, you know, f uh, a four year difference doesn't seem like anything now. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties, but at the time I was 17 or 18 and she was 13 or 14. And that, uh, there, there was, a, a clear difference in our life experience, our levels of maturity, um, but so, so she, it, my relationship with her felt a little more, um, sibling-esque than, uh, you know, coworker or romantic or anything like that. And so we, we had a lot of fun. I, I learned from her. I think she learned from me. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed her. I mean, she was really, really, um, I guess mature is not the word that's almost like not enough. Um, but she, she was a compelling person. She was really, I'm saying like, she's dead now or something. Why am I talking? <laughs> like that? Um, 
but she was extremely, extremely charismatic and infectious. And, uh, she was a, a jovial person. She was joyful. It was, uh, it was, it was really cool to be, uh, to do a lot of work with her because, uh, you know, a lot of the culture at general hospital, it's a, you know, it's a mob show. It's, it's a boys club a little bit, you know, with guns and, and leather and, sometimes both, sometimes both at the same time. I'm waiting for the day when they create a leather gun. That's going to be the <laughs> ultimate VH property. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, re- I really, I, I think we kind of grew up together a little bit. And um, I, I have a memory of, there's one of the directors there, uh, his name was Grant. And uh, he, he's on YNR now. Uh, and he, uh, he we, it was our first sex scene. We, we, like, you know, Dylan and Georgie lose their virginity to one another. And he was so conscientious of us and respectful. And this was way before like me too, or like, you know, the, when we all kind of as a society started getting our shit together and being really conscious of, of, you know, people's experiences and work environments. And, uh, not, not to say that we've never been conscious of that, but he was clearly ahead of the curve and he had us do this trust exercise before we ever shot the scene. Now, just so you know, like the pace and culture of a soap opera, I mean, it's go, 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 go. First usable take. We got to move. We have a hundred pages to do in a day. We don't have time for, you know, a director to babysit the actors. It's not like a film. Actors are left to figure that stuff out on their own. The director is there to manage time and the shots and the lighting. You know, they can't, they're technical. Um, and sometimes you have producers that can, you know, talk to actors about acting. But so for Grant to do this, he had us stand back to back and he had us take deep breaths and he, you know, made us say something nice about the other person and ask each other, do you trust me? Yes, I trust me. It was like, it was really beautiful. And, um, and that, and just for them to take the time for them to let him take the time to do that. And for him to have the thought to do that will always stand out in my memory. And I had the privilege of running into him at CBS television city recently. And I got to tell him that memory and thank him for that. It was very cool. That is cool. And he was like, who are you? Yeah. Just yeah. Right. <laughs> He's like, you're the intern, right? <laughs> Deliver this to four three. <laughs> um, so you were there for four years. Uh, what precipitated your exit in 2007? Um, uh, poor judgment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, w- I was there for like six months. And then, then they offered me a contract. I started out as recurring and then they, and and they offered me a contract sometime in, uh, and it was a four year contract and I did my four years and it was time to possibly renegotiate the contract. And I just had this thought like, well, you know, I'm young. I, 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 the world is full of opportunities. I'm going to, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go, this is just one step, you know, and I'm going to go be a, a movie star now, you know, or whatever it was I was thinking. Uh, and you know, I, it, lots of people have done that and, and it's gone very well for them. Uh, it didn't for me. I mean, within, I think, uh, four months or so I was, I was, you know, living downstairs at my parents' house. Uh, so, so yeah, I, it was just me. It was just me wanting to leave and, and see if I could, um, you know, move, move on. Uh, and I really couldn't, I, I just, I, I, I never got any jobs after that. And then, uh, and at one point, I think I had a, a phone call with uh, Bob Guza, who was the head writer at the time. Uh, and, and I said, hey, do you, do you have any work for me, like back on General Hospital? Like, it, you know, is there any way you could, you could have Dylan come back? And he said, yeah, yeah, we'll think about it. Uh, and then I don't, I don't think they found a way to work that out. And fortunately, not too long after that, um, I got a call to go fly to New York and audition for Skylar Joplin uh, on One Life to Live. And that, so that, that, that was that. But uh, then, you know, after, from that point on, I, I um, really understood how lucky I was to have been in the position I was, to have had the job, the steady job, you know, that I had. And uh, I, after that, I never took soap operas for granted again. See, I don't think you made a mistake. I think that's like an important thing to try so that you don't have that question in your head, you know, what would have happened if 
And it gives you an appreciation, oh, yeah. like you said, for, for Oh, yeah. If I hadn't done it, it then, right, right. If I hadn't done it then, I would have done it later when it might have cost me more. Um, I, yeah, I'm re- it really, uh, it was a, yeah, it's one of those experiences that you wouldn't want to relive, but you're really, really grateful to have the information that you learned from right, it. Right, right. So, yeah. So you were only on One Life for a year. Um, Skylar, yeah. Skylar was a little doomed, uh, but you know what stands out to you <laughs> about your your time there, and you know the year you spent living in New York. Uh, that was uh, that was the best year of my life. I had I not too long. I think um, around the time that I left General Hospital, I met my now wife, um, and you know we 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 were it was a new romance for us. And, uh, we were excited about, you know, our, our lives together. And then I got this job in New York and it was, it was a little difficult. We were going like, God, are we, should we be doing a long distance relationship? You know, I don't know. Uh, and we decided, yeah, sure. It's worth it. And, and I was, I, um, I, I, I went to New York. I got a really, I, I got a really, really nice apartment on central park west uh and i i loved it i mean i loved being in new york everybody warned me about the seasons oh be careful about the winter and you're not gonna like it i I mean i new york is still my favorite city in the world and i spent (laughs) i I spent all the money i made on that show flying my girlfriend out, you know, every other weekend to like hang out with me so that we got to be, so it really wasn't that much of a long distance relationship. And we sort of, she kind of half the time I was also, I also was putting her through school, um, which, uh, really paid off because she's a genius and she, she has an incredible degree in a really, really interesting field. Um, it's on pause because she's, she's, being a mom, she's momming hardcore right now, but, mm-hmm. but, um, but she has that career. And so, so anyway, so yeah, so I, you know, I, it was, a, it was a really short time, but it was, it was a really, really wonderful, impactful time for, for both of us in our lives. And, um, and I really liked one life to live. I mean, I really liked the people there. I liked walking to work in the crisp early, you know, New York morning air. And, uh, I, you know, I just, I just liked the culture and, and the storyline, and I like the character too. It was that that was an interesting time because that was the first job I had gotten um, as a quote unquote adult. Like I had never played an adult before. Like I had never done, you know, nothing like that. So this was the first time that I had to behave as an adult. It was a school teacher, you know. He was a school teacher with a a, dr- a past of drug abuse. I mean, that was so foreign to me. And so I, I kind of had like a little bit of an imposter syndrome the whole time I was there. That was when I started to try to grow a pathetic little beard, like an iron jaw. <laughs> it was an awkward stage in my life. But I think if it weren't for that, if like Brad Bell had not seen me in some capacity as a young adult on that show, then I never would have gotten uh, offered the audition for, for The Bold and the Beautiful either. So... Uh, yeah, that was a kind of interesting transitional coming into my own time for me, even though it was short lived uh, and it wasn't like a really it wasn't a character that was super integral to the show. Um, I, I learned a lot from that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you last aired on One Life in April of 2010. And just a few months later in July, you made your B&B debut as Liam. So what was that transition like for you? And now here you are back in California on a different show. Yeah, it happened really, really fast. Uh, I, um, I the, the character, the Skyler, the character of Skyler, uh, uh, goes to jail. I mean, he has like a complete psychotic breakdown, and uh, you know, attempt. I think it was like attempted murder or something like that. And the character went to jail, and at the same time, my lease in my apartment was up in New York, and so I remember going to Frank Valentini and saying, "Hey." Uh, <laughs> Uh, my character just went to jail and my lease, you know, I have to like re-sign this lease. Like I'm cool, right? Like I haven't worked in two weeks, so I just want to make sure. And he was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like we're going to, we think we're going to tell a little bit of a story of you in jail maybe. And I was like, oh, that's okay. So I'm, I'm good to like, and he said, yeah, yeah, I think you're good. 
Um, you know, and then like a week later, he calls me back and he's like, yeah, you know what I said before <laughs> about that? <laughs> Not um, so good. JK. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. JK, LOL. <laughs> uh, and, and it was just like that day. I mean, at that day, I, I like, I had to start making phone calls and like get the hell out of New York as quickly as I could because it's, it's the best city in the world, but it's a very, very expensive city if you're, if you don't have an income. So I had to get, you know, leave quickly. Uh, and I think within, I think within a week maybe of me being fired, I was back home. Like, you know, I, once again, living with my parents, uh, but, uh, um, they yeah. must've been and, and so then, sick of you, Scott. <laughs> That my parents have put up with so much shit, I cannot tell you. Wait, that that word is on the approved list, right? On the I think so. List. Yes, yes. I think we're okay. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, I'm getting so good at this. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, that was a kind of stressful uh, time, but um, but I got back home quickly, and it was like you know pulling off a band aid, and then it was just back to auditioning again, uh, and. Uh, and then, you know, pretty soon, um, I, I guess, I don't know if Brad Bell had been paying attention to my leaving One Life to Live or if he had heard about it after the fact or if somebody brought it to, but they, they contacted me uh, through my agent and offered, you know, for me to come in and audition. And my first audition, um, this was, I think this was like a few months later. I, th I think you, you have the timeline, but... Uh, yeah, my my first audition was just in front of Brad. It was there was no like there was no middle there was no first call. I mean, it was oh, like, no it was pressure at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, but I didn't. Um, I remember that time and not feeling pressure at all, which is interesting because you'd think I, I don't know what my psychology was at that time, but I was very I was very nonchalant about it. I was like totally cool if I didn't get the job. So I, I didn't go in there with a lot of like anxiety or anything. And it was in Brad's office and I met Jackie for the first time. And, uh, and you know, we're and and Jackie's, you know, there were like, th you know, three or four other guys that were all auditioning for the same part. One of them was Adam Gregory who went on to play Thomas. Uh, and yeah, Jackie came out into like the sort of waiting room and ran the scene with like each of us once through and, and uh, other people went in and then she came. I don't think she did it all at the same time, but because I was alone with her. But I asked her, um, hey, question, you know, this this scene has a kiss. Uh, I don't know how you guys do things here. Like, am I supposed to do uh, what? What is what am I? What do I do? <laughs> you know, and, and she said, no, just kiss me. Like, actually, just kiss me. In the scene. I said, OK. Um, and so then we went into Brad's office and we did this scene. Uh, and, uh, Jackie was great and she was so nice to me. And, and Brad, after the scene said, uh, it, it was interesting. He said, um, wow, I, I don't think I've ever seen acting quite like that before. You looked like, and he was struggling for the words. And he said, you, you look like you weren't acting. And, and that was, and that was it. That was all he said. And I, I took that as like such a huge compliment. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, but it made me realize that, oh yeah, there's like a, this show bold and beautiful. And maybe this has changed a little bit in the interim, but it's a very stylized show. It's, it's, you know, it's a mom and pop show. It's not run by a, a huge, you know, conglomerate. It's, it's a, you know, it's run by this family and it is classic old school soap opera formula. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, it's like heightened, it's, it's, a, you know, Bold and Beautiful is a different style of soap opera than, than other shows. And I learned that pretty quickly. So it was surprising that I got the job because I'm not uh, leading man type material. And it's surprising that Brad has kind of, um, bless his heart, you know, put, put me in this position of, of a sort of leading romantic role, uh, because that's not, that's just never, that's not my thing. I, I've just never been great at that. And so they have to constantly be on my ass uh, on set. You know, I'll do, so I'll do a scene and they'll, do, and they'll stop it and they'll say, Hey Scott, we need to do it over again. You need to be more romantic. Like you need to be more, um, 
like cut the Woody Allen shit. Okay. Like, can you, <laughs> like, can you just like be like masterful, you know, like, Oh God, that's the note. That's the word I get all the time. Come on, Scott masterful. Let's do it again. We need you to be a man. You know, I'm like, all right. Okay. Fine. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really been a trip that I, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, a, I mean, and now, now it's home. I mean, I've been there for almost a decade and it's the, the greatest experience of my life. It's, I, I've never been happier in my life than, than being on Bold and Beautiful, but the, uh, it's, I, I'm not, I was, I, I'm not meant to be on this show. It's, it's a weird, yeah, it's, uh, I don't quite fit. And I think Brad saw that and that's why he thought I'd be a perfect fit. He, uh, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And you have been. Um, now, well, when you did come in, you were like the computer guy. And um, were yeah. you aware of the link to Bill Spencer and that could you have imagined where it all would have gone? Yeah. My, my first day, Brad uh, called me up to his office and he said, so listen, um, you're, you're not who you appear to be. Uh, do you want to know? Or maybe... I'm not sure of the chronology of this. I knew that I, I knew that my character had a secret. I knew that my character wasn't who he seemed. And so for, there, there must've been some, maybe this was before the meeting with Brad, but there was some time period where I strongly suspected I was like an FBI agent or something. <laughs> um, and then finally, finally Brad said, okay, do you want to know? Uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, tell me. Uh, and he said, you're searching for your father. Um, you came to LA searching for your father and your father is Bill. Uh, and, and I said, Bill, like Don, like Don Diamond, like my boss on the show. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. And I went, Oh no. Oh my God. This, you know, cause Don is so big and intimidating. And I mean, he's just like, he's like buff Santa, you know, I, I don't know how else to describe it. So or, or buff Hanukkah Harry in his case. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll get into our Jewish ties in a minute. Don and I are both very proud of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and now Don is like, you know, he's my dad. You know, he's like my TV dad. He treats me like he's my dad. He gives me advice like he's my dad. I mean, I, I love him. He's family to me. But at the time, I was going, oh, my God, I'm going to play this guy's son. I am nothing like this guy. I, there's, I mean, you can't. But that but that was the magic was that we were so different. So it was great. I mean, it, it was just, it, it was such a beautiful story. I think, yes, Liam is kind of known for the romantic waffling, kind of. No, that's his signature is the romantic waffling. <laughs> but, but to me, the love story of Liam is, is his relationship with Bill. And that to me is what always, what it always returns to. That's the magic to me is, is that relationship. And then, and that also extends to Wyatt as well. Mm -hmm. I love the Spencer men scenes. They're so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, Darren was, you know, kind of an interesting casting choice in the same vein as I was because Darren is, you know, really quirky and funny. I mean, he's funny. Like that, that's his, I mean, he's a genius comedically. I mean, you should see the stuff they don't let us get away with because it's too funny, you know, or it's too. So, um, and I really, really, when, when we were auditioning the character of Wyatt, you know, there are guys that came, there was a guy that came in that was like six, four buff, you know, I mean, he made the, he made it to the chemistry read and, you know, and then there was another guy that was like a sort of New York kind of fast talking, you know, and, and Darren was, but they were all kind of being, um, alpha male-ish and Darren was the one guy who came in that was that just thought thought about the scene work the same way I would uh and uh, you know about just just making just being interesting and and he was he was fantastic in in the audition scene and uh and I was the one I was the one chemistry reading with him uh and I begged Brad like dude he's the guy you know he's the guy and, and yeah, uh, and then the rest is history. But, but again, I, you know, that, that was another interesting soap opera choice, especially for this show. You didn't really have, I don't think, I mean, it's, you, you know, you have your Pam and, and stuff like that, but um, you didn't have leading characters that were kind of awkward and funny and, 
and offbeat. And, you know, it was, it was a cool cultural shift on the show, I think. Mm-hmm, totally. So uh, going back to what you said about that romantic waffling. Um, <laughs> I was hoping that I could just like gloss address it, it over dismissively that, yeah. and then just like breeze right, right past right. it. So you're like, oh, check that off. But yeah, okay. So <laughs> Liam has gotten a lot of guff over the years for this propensity. Um, <laughs> so now we'll, we'll take it just to the present. Like, do you think he's really in it to win it with hope at this point? And like, where does Steffi fit in? Like, give us your current take on our favorite waffler. Uh, yeah, I think, oh, thank you that he's your favorite waffler. That means so much. Uh, of all the wafflers. Of all the wafflers in all the land. I win. I am the waffle king. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think if you were to ask Liam, okay, first let me say, I, I don't get Liam. I try really, really hard, but I don't get Liam. Um, and that is, that is the struggle of my job is trying to get in this guy, this, the way he thinks, I mean, he's an idealist. I'm a pragmatist. He's naive and, and his thinking is flowery and, and, and I'm the opposite of that. I, you know, so, and, and, you know, I've been with the same woman for 15 years and, and he, can't stay with the same woman for a week. And so I, it's, it's very hard to get in his head. And, and I consider my job to be just that is, is justifying his behavior. Uh, so I think if you were to ask Liam is not Scott, but Liam, Liam would say, uh, that Liam would, Liam probably believes that hope is the love of his life. Um, and I think that there's, some psychology there. I think, uh, he's got his, his issues with his mom. Uh, you know, obviously his mom died of breast cancer in front of him. He watched her die. She's the one who told him to go to LA. Uh, hope was the first woman he met in LA. Um, or at least had a a substantive interaction with in LA. Um, I think Liam believes in fate. Uh, I think he believes, you know, that the universe sort of speaks to him. All, All the things that I don't believe. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think Liam believes that he and Hope are star-crossed lovers and that they are destined to be, to be with one another. And he's just trying to make it work. I, I think he also, he views Hope as this sort of um, symbol of all that is good. You know, all that he struggles to maintain in his life is, you know, um, morality and purity and chastity and well, we can scratch off the chastity part, but you know, in the beginning, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, I think hope is like Batman to him. She's more than just a woman. She's a symbol. Uh, and, uh, so I, even when he's sort of dejected about it and maybe he doesn't have the fire, under his ass, you know, that because of circumstances and, and even when he's like sort of beaten down and realizes that it's not, it's probably not going to work out. I think he, he almost feels like he has a cosmic duty to make things work with hope because that's, that's his soulmate. Um, what he, what, what the, the reality that keeps smacking him in the head is, is that his relationship with Steffi when it's working works really, really well. And they're kind of opposites in a way. And, um, you know, Steffi is obviously very different from Hope, but she's also very different from Liam. She challenges him. She uh, makes him, I think, question certain things about himself. But she, but she also, um, something that's interesting about Steffi that they've, they've written fairly consistently is that Steffi doesn't uh, expect much from Liam, which is interesting uh steffi is very sort of forgiving of him um you know i mean with with a few very 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 reasonable exceptions um so i yeah i i can't i'll never you'll never hear me say you know that i prefer one or the other or i think liam should be with one or the other that's that's a death sentence both on screen and off I, i just don't think it works that way and there shouldn't be an answer i mean that 
who Liam should be with is like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. Like you're just not supposed to know. There's no, <laughs> there is no answer. Um, and that's the beauty of it because the story must go on. But uh, yeah, I think that's, that's how I view it. Well, we were just saying, um, just talking about this triangle and how it has been, you know, such a through line with your character, but it works because you, you actually play it however it's written. You know, there are actors sometimes we've seen who like try to not play it with one actress or actor to sort of swing favor the other way. And from yeah. what we can see of what we're watching, you really commit to whatever's in the script. If Liam is in love with Hope, he's in love with Hope. If he's in love with Steffi, he's in love with Steffi. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of yeah. what makes it work. Thanks. Well, you know, you know, that's that's um, that's because I just got really good advice early on. I you know, I. What you're describing there is, I think, what I was probably more inclined to do because I was so – I found the idea of this guy's floundering, you know, and, and lack of, of commitment. It was so frustrating to me. I mean that he would be with one – you know, kiss one woman and then be with the other one. I mean that is so m morally abhorrent to me that, I, you know, I, I – early on I would not complain, but I would express to Brad – like, how am I supposed to do this? He was just with Hope, and now he's kissing Steffi, and he's, I mean, the, the character is so two-faced. Like, he's, he's, a, he's not a good guy. And Brad said, you're, you're, thinking, you're thinking in terms of reality, man. Like, this, this is not that world. Like, this is a different world. The rules, the laws of physics are different, and the laws of love are different. It's not the same world. You may as well be in Middle Earth. And what, you know, your, your job here, your job always is to love the one you're with. Ne always be present. Always, you, you play every scene as if there is no past or future. You play every scene as if that's the only scene that matters. You love the one that you're with. And that will make it work, as counterintuitive as it is. Mm -hmm. But it does. And I, it does. It, he was absolutely right. It was, it was so counterintuitive for me to take that advice, but it has paid off a hundredfold. And if I had not done it the way that he taught me to do it, um, I don't, I might not even have a job now. Uh, you know, the character might not have been sustainable. People might not have been able to root for the character in the way that they do, mm -hmm. despite themselves, you know, d despite the fact that he pisses off one fan base or the other at any given time. It's really interesting how it right. works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you now play daddy on the show to not one, but two super cute little girls. Um, I want to know yeah. how life at work has changed now that these young ladies are in the mix. Uh, well, you know, it's, it, it's interesting that it happened around the same time that I had a son in real life. So I'm pretty comfortable with the kids on a practical level. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, so intimidated by, you know, having children on set. And in fact, it's been a little bit of the opposite. When you, there is a, it's very easy when you play the same character and you, you repeat some of the same basic storylines over and over and over again for years, it's, it's very easy to feel stale as an actor. It's very easy to fall into certain bad habits. It's very, very easy to phone it in. If you know your lines and you're prepared and you know how to hit your mark and find your light, it's so easy to be complacent um, and just kind of just play the hits and do what works <laughs> and not really. And, and what the difference that having kids on set makes, especially kids that don't have language skills yet, that don't understand where they are or what's really happening, is that you have to be present. You have to be 100% in the moment with them and reacting to them the way that you, you know, the, the, a lot of the time there's this dialogue, you know, the dialogue is always written like, oh, Liam's such a good dad. And oh, Liam, look how the girls love you. They love you so much and this and that. And I always think like, God, you know, the, our writers, how can they write that? They don't know how it's going to go. You know, they, they don't know that that the, the baby, the one baby that we have on set is going to be, you know, looking at Liam the way that it says <laughs> right. she's looking at Liam right. in the script. Like, how can they do that? But, but the truth is, you know, it, it's, the script is a blueprint, but it's not, you know, the 10 commandments. And 
And we, when, you know, when the kid is crying, that is a gift. That's a gift to us, the actors, because kids cry. They cry in real life. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. And parenting is really, really hard. And there are people watching at home who know that parenting is hard and probably resent the glorification of diaper changing. And it's, I think it's a really, really, it's a gift to me and it's a gift to the audience that we have these pockets of pure, unfiltered realism when the kids are around. Well, that could be one of the many reasons why in 2017 you made daytime history or made history by becoming the first male daytime actor to win daytime Emmys in all three dramatic acting categories, younger, oh. supporting, and finally lead, all for B&B. Um, so what does that accomplishment yeah. mean to you? Um, it's, it, you know, you, you want to be careful. You don't want to be dismissive of it, but you also don't want to make too much of it. Um, there are, it, it, uh, so much of it is timing and just having the right storyline, the right year when other actors have the right storyline, the right year. Uh, you know, I, uh, it, um, Christoph could have won that, that, that final award. Uh, in fact, he deserved that final award. Um, he, we, we had a conversation about how much it meant to him. Before, before the winner, you know, was announced, you know, he had one younger actor, he had one supporting actor, and it really meant a lot to him. He really wanted that trifecta. And I got it. I mean, he's been doing this far longer than I had. And he he had been doing it far longer than I had. Um, and, you know, when I won, he was so um, gracious and complimentary and wonderful to me, but it hurt him. And, and I remember, <laughs> I remember telling him, um, Hey, listen, man, you know, technically, uh, I didn't, I haven't won three of the, I haven't won in all three categories. I tied in one because I tied with Billy Miller. So you still will make history next year when you win. Um, and he, and that kind of put a smile on his face and he, and he like looked at me genuinely and said, thank you. So, oh, wow. I, it, I, so yeah, the Emmys mean different things to different people. For me, it, it's, it's, it means community. I mean, these are my people. This is my tribe honoring me. Um, and I think that's, it's not, it's not, it's not about who's the best actor. It's not, it can't be. Once you're familiar with the process and how the votes work and what the rules are, it's not, it's not about who's the best actor. It's about your community. And so, um, I don't know that, that, that's why it's, it's special to me. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, now you did mention your adorable son, Ford. Uh, I think Mara and I have made it very clear to you that we delight in any photos of him. <laughs> yeah. So how's he doing? He's great. He's, he's in the other room right now. He's being such a good boy because he's not banging on the door. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm my, you know, my wife uh, is in Paris right now. It's her first real, uh, like you know, seven day, eight day vacation uh, you know, without him. Um, and uh, you know, so it's just been like boys' week. You know, we've been we've been hanging out. There's no rules. Nobody can tell us what to do. You know, just <laughs> lots of drugs and hookers. It's it's been great. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been, we've been having a lot of fun and he's really, he's coming into his own. He's so smart and, and to, I'm sure every single parent says this, but, but, uh, Ford really but yeah. is. Yeah. But Ford really is all those other parents. They're lying. Scott, I gotta, me. I gotta ask, what's he doing in the other room? And is he alone in the other room? No, 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 no. We have a friend over. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> No, he said, well, you know, once he figures out how to get out of the handcuffs, I think he'll be fine. Uh, but then he's got the obstacle of the, you know, closet door. So that might be a problem. But when, you know, once he figures that out, the security system might provide a little bit of problem. But once he gets through that, the pendulum swinging could be an issue. Nikki, if you're I listening, we, we are sending someone by the house just to make sure. <laughs> a wellness check. It's yeah, well, what do they call that? Wellness, wellness check? check? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Um, so I know we, we mentioned, mentioned Walter White earlier, but you recently expanded your four-legged family to include oh, yes. a rescue kitten named Bill. Please explain to those not in the know who might be listening how he ended up in the family and named after your B&B father. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Don called me one day and he said, you, you, you and Nikki are cat people. I said, yes. And he, and he said, listen, um, I'm sort of in this sticky situation that I don't really know how to get out of. My father-in-law, who's been a cat person his whole life, He's always loved cats. They just have made him happy. He's, I mean, he's never been without cats. Um, but he's, you know, 90 something years old and he's, he's having some problems with dementia and we, you know, we didn't want him to be lonely. We wanted him to have a companion. His, his old cat recently passed away. And so we got him this kitten. Um, and, uh, he, he can't, he can't take care of it. it it's it's not working. Um, he's it, the, the cat. The kitten wants to play all the time. It's terrorizing him. Um, she's you know she's she's just way too playful for him, and he's he's you know having. So um, uh, he said, can, you know, can you do you have any advice? Can you can you can you take the cat off our hands? Maybe. And do you know anything about like finding you know a home or something like that? And I said, yes, no problem. Um, we'll, 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 we'll grab the cat, uh, and, you know, foster it, her for, you know, a little, a little while. And then, um, you know, and then if we'll, we'll, we'll find a home for her or something, we'll figure it out. But our, our home can obviously accommodate another cat for a little while. So it's, it's better than, you know, the cat living, terrorizing your, your dad-in-law. And he said, great. And so he brought the cat over one day. Um, and, um, and you, you may have noticed I keep using uh, the pronoun she uh, <laughs> because that was the pronoun he used. Uh, and so I had just assumed the cat was a she. Uh, and then, you know, after, after Don dropped the cat off and I, I was kind of playing with the cat for a second. And I noticed these giant cat balls. Uh, <laughs> and I texted him and I was like, are you sure? she's a she and not a he and he he called me he didn't even have the like tolerance to text me back he called me right away and he's like what do you mean and i was like i'm pretty sure she's a dude man like she's she's got enough testosterone you know to fill the mint um so uh so he he uh he, he was shocked by that but he you know but they didn't you know they didn't know the cat wasn't like neutered or anything i think they got the cat off of like craigslist or something you know what i mean so they didn't know anything about this kid and um but anyway but so so he th- he thought that was hilarious uh and then very very quickly nikki and i just fell in love with this cat we weren't sure what to name him we weren't sure what to name him but he was cocky and spunky and he had attitude and he was ambitious. I mean, he would run to the food whenever we put out the food. He will run into the room and jump on your lap if he decides that he doesn't meander. He, the cat says what he means and means what he says. And we realized, holy shit, this cat is Bill Spencer. <laughs> um, and so uh, it was perfect. So we, we, we named him Bill. And he had that sword necklace, which was the, the weirdest part. <laughs> yeah, which is which has been incredibly painful. I keep telling him to take it off, but he insists on his identity. And I, I just go, okay. Right. <laughs> okay, and and now share. Yes, tell your us your Jewish connections. Oh, oh yes. Uh, so so um, Don Diamant uh, is actually Donald. Feingold. Scott Clifton is actually Scott Snyder, S N Y D E R. Oh. So I'm a I'm a you know uh, Eastern European Jew. I believe he is also an Eastern European Jew. Um, and you know so so uh, and and the name Spencer is also a Jewish name. So it it kind of it works out perfectly. So we never really say it on the show, but I, I we play it all the time. We play. This sort of New York Jew. What? What do you want? What do you do? What's that? I didn't say what. You, no, you said what? No, there's too much. There's too much salt on it. There's not enough salt. Uh, but it's yeah, it's great. I mean, I, we we love having that identity to share. It's uh, it's very very fun. So July of 2020, Scott is going to mark the 10th anniversary of your debut on B and B. 
What does that milestone oh, really? mean to you? Yeah, 10 years. Um, that means a lot to me. That means more to me than any, uh, you know, 12-inch golden girl. I, I, to be a part of this community, to have been, I mean, God, you know, I, I was so excited to just be a part of it when it was like my first month. You know what I mean? I knew what I was getting into. I knew how special it was. I knew that this place, the energy of this place, the, the tone of this place was different from any other job I had had. I knew it was a family. And now, I mean, to, to, it, and time flew, man. I mean, I, 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 I there, yeah, there have been so many storylines and, and I think about, you know, you can mark it with, with, you know, when certain in, in eras, you know, when certain characters came in or other characters got recast or certain storylines began and you can kind of divide up your time by low. Oh, yeah. This was, this was pre Quinn and post Quinn or, or this was, you know, pre Pearson faux day and post Pearson faux day. So, um, that's yeah. There, yeah. It, it, not only does the show have a lot of history, but now I get to feel like I'm part of that history. I'm not just coming in at the very, very end of that history and capitalizing on it. I get to, I have the privilege of having created some of that history, you know, a fifth of that history, a third of whatever it is. Um, and that's so, so special to me. That's, I, I feel at home here. I will always feel at home here. And uh, I, I really hope I get to make it to year 20. So do we. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Oh, yeah. It's been such a pleasure. You guys, you guys are good sports putting up with me. Thank you. Bye, Scott. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Scott Clifton for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up an issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.